Up next on your best bets, five-time City Golf Champion Scott Pieri joins me to discuss his playing schedule for 2021. We trace his playing career all the way back to the early 1980s. Uh, we get his thoughts on uh, the distance debate in golf, uh, some short game tips, and uh, some really good stories along the way, including some some good Champions Tour stories. Uh, there was so much I wanted to get into with Scott that I didn't even have time to. Uh, conversation just it went quick, but it went long. Really appreciate the time uh, that he gave for this, and we'll look forward to having him on later on in the season when his time permits. So here we go. Here's Scott Pieri. Welcome into your best bets. We have a very special episode tonight. I have him on Zoom and I have him on the podcast as well. Um, five time Fort Wayne City Golf Champion, uh, 2003 Indiana PGA Open. Is that our PGA Champion? Is that PGA right? PGA Champ, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, All of it sounds good. It's cool. Yeah, Champions <laughs> Champions Tour member, um, Mr. Scott Pierre. I, I was, I, I was. I don't want to, don't want to pretend I am right now, but I was. I'm going to be again. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to make that happen, Phil. Yeah. Okay. If we want to be fair, you know, you had status what 19? Is that right? 19, I did. Yep, I sure okay. did. All right. Yeah. So Scott Pierre, how we doing, Scott? Doing well. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks for having me, dude. This is, uh, yeah, I was looking forward to this all day to have a little chat with you about all kinds of stuff. I can't wait. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, yeah. generally speaking, when we have our golf show, we, we talk about golf a little bit, we talk about current events, and we kind of talk about some of the betting perspective as well. Uh, tonight, I want to talk about kind of your career, trace what that's looked like. Um, okay. You know, you've been playing competitive golfers, you know, over 30 years. Um, so Long there, time. Yeah, Long time. so there's a lot to hit on, and I kind of yeah. want to get your your stance on some of, some of the bigger golf topics and and, uh, you know, just kind of your opinion on some other things. So sure. um, I kind of want to start with uh, 2021. What does your what does your schedule look like for this? Yeah. season? Yeah. You know what? It's uh, obviously 2020 was uh, was a challenge. You know, um, uh, 2021 is what, what really happened was, you know, 2019. I, I came off 2019. I was I was injured at the time. Unfortunately, we, we can talk about that a little bit. So I was I wasn't feeling very good. I, I, I literally six weeks before Q school to going into 2020. I couldn't get out of bed. I had an SI joint that was just so bad in my lower right back. It was the the first really big injury I've ever had. And I somehow managed to get to Q school, but I didn't get to the finals. So that's why my status is there's none right now, but we can get that back. And I can explain that too a little bit, but in yeah. 2020, you know, we had this nice schedule put together. I've got a, a great sponsor, FAK Logistics. I'd love to talk about Alex a little bit, Alex Haggard, but um, so I played in three three qualifiers this last year, and, and and that was it because they just the Champions Tour got decimated in the schedule. Right. Everybody did, but we really did too, probably more than anybody. So coming out this season, it looks like a normal schedule. They've moved one event to the fall, which is a Southern California event that I, I really don't I haven't gone to just because it's very expensive. Um, it's a little tough logistically to get there. So I'm going to start the year in Tucson, which is it normally starts in South Florida. We're going to start in Arizona. Again, a little bit of a change, and that'll be, I fly out there on the 15th of February, and then in early April, I'll be in South Florida, 
And then after that, it's Atlanta, which is the first uh, place that's very dear to me because we've got great friends there. And that was my first champion store event I ever Monday into was was Atlanta. So I'll be there. And then um, after that, it's a little bit sketchy, maybe because they, they kind of shifted some things. But um, if you can get inside the top 100 on the money list early in the season, that'll get you into the senior PGA. Have a good senior PGA. It might get you into the senior players. And then I'll have the U.S. Open and then the fall gets gets kind of busy. So it's, it's a full it's a full year. And so I was going to ask you, I know with the PGA Tour, if you have some success early on in the season, you might get some sort of conditional status. Is, is there something yeah. similar with the Champions Tour? Well, the way it works out there is um, that, you know, the, 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 the open qualifying and the Monday qualifying is very different now than like when I was a young man trying to play some. Um, they have what are called pre-qualifiers now. So, so if you have no status, you have to go through a pre-qualifier, which is usually on a Friday before the Monday qualifier. And there'll be those fields are always bigger than the Monday qualifiers on the champion store. Typical Monday qualifier field is about 40 players. Is a little bit, I mean, Paul Stankowski, Peter Leonard, I can go on and on. Okay. I mean, there's a bunch of sticks on the Monday, but the pre-qualifier is usually 60 players, maybe 70 players. And there's five spots there. So the way it works now is if I can get myself through a pre, which I'm planning on and get into a Monday and then Monday into the event, yeah. I lose the pre. I don't have to pre anymore, which oh, okay. basically gives me the same status I had back in 19, which is being able to go straight to Monday qualifying. So the key is really to get through a pre, get through a Monday early, get yourself in an event. The pre goes away and we're just sort of back to doing what, what we've been doing. So I'm, I'm cool yeah. with that. So so not only is Monday qualifying extremely difficult, and maybe you can describe that, but you you got to pre-qualify into the Monday. Yeah. Yeah. The pre's <laughs> are tough, too. The, 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 you know, I, I don't. I don't want this to sound wrong and I don't want to sound overconfident or anything, but you know, in a pre-qualifier, I mean, you can kind of see the, the 30 guys that are probably the five spots are going to probably come from unless right. somebody really plays good. I mean, certainly right. that can happen and it's, it's neat to see guys do that, right. but you pretty much have an idea who's, who's going to probably be close. So um, that's a Brooks so the Koepka, pre- Brooks Koepka take. A little bit. I, I don't mean that in an <laughs> no, 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 arrogant yeah. way, but you can yeah. kind of see there's a lot of locals, there's a lot of guys that are trying, Hey, we're going to throw our money in and we're going to give it a shot. And, and that's always cool to see. And it's neat meeting those guys. And I enjoy those guys, but, but you can kind of see who's in there and you're like, yeah, you know, it's, it looks like it might take a couple under or three under that usually gets you into a, a Monday. It's, it's not, it's not terribly difficult. Um, sure. From that standpoint, it's just, you got to go do it. So the Mondays are the Mondays are a treat, man. They're, they're, you get to play with some, some boys. I play with, you know, Tommy tolls and, you know, uh, Robert Gomez and, uh, I'm missing all kinds of guys. I think I yeah. played with Peter, Peter Leonard. There's just a bunch of bunch of those guys because there's only 78 guys in a, in a field. So if you look at a PGA Tour field, a big field for PGA Tour is 156. So it's half a field. The smaller fields are 144. So it's just barely over half. The spots are just, they're just tough to come by, man. It's just difficult. And then you got guys coming off who have status based on their PGA Tour careers and then they get in. And now those guys that were in are now having a Monday as well. Now they back up. Now yeah. the fields get, it's, it's not going to get any easier, yeah. Phil. Let me tell you that it's not going to get any easier. But here, here's what I would say, just to wrap this up, is it's all about numbers. If you can go shoot five under in a Monday qualifier, you're going to you're going to you're going to probably get in in the event. A sure. lot of times, four will get it. Occasionally, three will. So four is sort of the magic number, but beyond four is let you know you probably got a good chance to get in. So it's just it's a numbers game, man. Yeah. Um, so what have you been working on this, this off season, obviously living where we live, it's yeah. I'm sure it's tough to get work in, but um, yeah. 
you know, tell, tell us about your kind of what your off season normally looks like in a cold yeah. climate like ours. Sure. So this year was a little bit different. Um, again, referring back to kind of 19, I came off 19 with an injury that I've never, I've never experienced before. I did have a cyst in my wrist uh, that we discovered right when I turned 50 and I had to have some surgery to remove that, but it wasn't, it, it was a growth, right? It wasn't an injury, but um, for whatever reason in 2019, as the year went on, I just got worse and worse and worse. And you just, you just play through it. So it's just, uh, there's no, no other way to do it. You know, you just have to play through it. So when I got to the end of the season, I was really hurting. So Dr. Jason Russell at OPS is the guy who kind of pieced me back together. We figured out that not only did I have uh, an SI joint problem, which is where your hip and your pelvis come together sure. on my right side, it was, it was also due to some, some hip flexor issues as well. So I started doing some, some rehab with him and, and that really helped. Um, Holly has encouraged me to start doing yoga, which I started doing just recently, uh, mm -hmm. very faithfully. And I feel mm -hmm. really good, but 2020 gave me a chance, even though it was a crappy year with COVID, it gave me a chance to really uh, get healthy. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Get, and get better. So I feel, so from that, I'm very thankful for, for that uh, in 20, but I started playing again in the fall really, because I started feeling really good and I had some, some good play. I won the pre-qualifier in Raleigh, the last event of the year, I shot 68. Um, I, I didn't get it done in the Monday, but I came home uh, and about the, maybe the third week of October decided I was going to kind of shut it down for a little bit. I just needed to just uh, be home, be, be a dad, get back to my business. Cause I worked for myself and COVID kind of hurt me. So I was yeah. kind of getting things going so that I basically in November, I felt, I felt like, Hey, I just want to continue this. <laughs> I'm just kind of hanging with the family, having fun, you know, and then we caught COVID in December. So I had three weeks where I was down from that. So it was it, since October, middle of October, I, I was kind of quiet, you know? So when it, I got over COVID right about Christmas time, I was anxious to get back and get practicing. So the last month has been great. I mean, it's been awesome to be back. I go to Apex Golf Lab. Quinn Griffin is my swing coach. He's, he's just super generous. Those guys are great to give me a place to, to hang. So um, I yeah. just, I'm, I'm just doing what I always do. I'm really not um, at a point in my career where I'm working on a ton of stuff anymore. I mean, my golf swing is my golf swing at this point. I, I'm not yeah, right. really, I don't find that working mechanically is really the way to go. So I, I work a lot on track, man. I work on just trying to have some really neutral numbers and be myself and Quinn keeps an eye on me. And I've been just absolutely wearing out track man putting at his place. I mean, I literally spend 70% of my time at his place on track man putting, just trying to just, just understand what's going on in the greens, why balls start left, start right. And just, I'm just in a, I'm just so excited for 2021, man. I just think it's going to be my best year. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to hear that. I, I'm interested yeah. with, uh, you, you talked about your swing, not really working on anything specifically. Yeah. Um, is it just a matter of reps at this point? What, what you're, you know, getting more reps, you know, or is it yeah. just like where you, you're, you're at the point now with the close to the end of January where you're, you're feeling ready? Yeah, I, I'm feeling ready right now. Qu Quinn and I, um, we, we look at numbers on track, man. We'll take a look at a little bit of video. It's, it's really more just making sure there's nothing weird going on. And we, I, I don't ever see that. I, I mean, I look like I always look. I mean, I, I, I know what I know what I do and what I don't do. We, we, he has um, a piece of equipment there called the K vest, which is a really neat piece of equipment he put on uh, with some, uh, some pelvic sensors and some, some upper body sensors. And we just kind of yeah. see how my body moves. And, and so we just make sure that my posture is good. I'm not slouching too much. I tend to get a little too over. Um, I have a tendency to, to turn my lower half a little too early and kind of get the club behind me. So we just, we just keep, we just look at that real quick. Hey, everything looks good. 
Um, and then we just, we just, we just practice, uh, and, and, and hit balls, but more than anything right now really is, uh, there, there's a book, there's a program that was developed by a guy by the name of Steven Yellen called the fluid motion factor and Craig Isbell, who is Denny Hepler's son-in-law in Warsaw at Stonehenge, um, who's just a super talented player and teacher, a great young guy, um, mm-hmm. is probably besides Steven Yellen, probably the guy in the maybe the world that teaches it. And so that just teaches you how to play from a very quiet place and not overthink, underthink almost, you know, under anticipate stuff. So I really work on that more than anything right now is just really trying to play from a really quiet spot, a very calm place. Don't get too, you know, too, too hyped up. Don't get too low. Um, And I work on that as much as anything right now, to be honest with you. So your sort of your, your mental states is something that you're working on. It sounds like you're healthy. Certainly. I feel great. Yeah, got like over COVID decently. It sounds like. I, I tell you what, man. Uh, have you? Have you, you? You? Did you? Have, have you? I'm no, sorry, I haven't had any issues. No, no. Yeah, it's um, it's a scary thing, man. I have to admit, uh, uh, I wasn't particularly any. Holly and I were both kind of fluish, um, different, both very different. I lost my taste of sense, and, uh, my my taste and my smell uh, were gone for almost a month. Um, listen, it's, it's a relentless thing. I mean, I could see where people who have, who, who are compromised catch it. It's, it's not gonna, it's not gonna let up on you. So, you know, when people go the wrong way, it's scary when I hear friends and family or, you know, uh, my mom's 90, going to be 93 here soon. I mean, if she caught it, it would be a problem, but when I hear that, it, it just make it just makes me cringe because it just, it's just not going to let up, you know, it's just not. So, uh, you know, take it serious, wear your mask, man, be careful. Don't, don't play with this. It's just, it's not fun. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to get into, um, I want to go back uh, quite a ways. I want to yeah. go back to kind of, kind of where you started um, Northrop mm-hmm. high school um, and then ball sure. state uh, yeah. while you were playing in high school. Was that, was that something you picked up uh, at a certain age or was it, you know, what age did you pick up golf? I guess starting now. Yeah. Well, I, um, uh, you know, my dad, when he was alive, told this story a lot. Uh, I remember most of this, but not all of it. But when I was seven, I went to a garage sale and found a rusty set of a cart and set of clubs and came home. I came from a baseball family, a, a bunch of great athletes in my family. Um, and baseball was was our sport. Um, so a lot of people thought that was kind of where I was going. I was I'm a lefty. Uh, you know, I was pitching from the time I was a little four years. There's, there's video of my dad at four years old, standing 30 feet from me, throwing me real baseballs and me catching it and winding up and throwing. I, I loved it. But when I discovered golf, it just, my head about popped off. You know, I just fell in love with it. And my dad saw it right away. And, um, he took me to show park. I got in show Park's junior program. I'm a Muni kid. That's what, that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mm-hmm. went down the road to Riverbend when I was 13 and, by the time I got to high school, um, you know, I was winning golf tournaments and a kid by the name of Brian Gottwald. I don't know if you know Brian or not. He's still yeah, around town playing. Yep. Yep. You know, Brian and I were basically winning everything in our age groups for a long time. And going into Northrop, we came to realize that, you know, he's at Shawnee and I'm at Jefferson. We're going to the same high school. And so our sophomore year, we won the state championship and we're part of a team with myself and Brian and Chris Schaefer of the Y store. If you know the Y store, it's Chris Schaefer, mm-hmm. uh, the, the lead singer was, uh, he played golf with me at Ball State too. Uh, and Dave Welsh and Mike Riley, who owns Colonial Oaks. That was our, that was our squad. And we, you know, we yeah. shocked the world or felt like we did at that time, which was kind of fun. And um, yeah. yeah, so that, that's how it happened. At, at what point in playing did you realize, hey, I might be pretty good. I might have something here. Was that, was that in <laughs> high school or was it earlier than 
Well, uh, because of my good buddy, Brian Gottwald, uh, I didn't get recruited really heavy coming out of high school. I mean, smaller schools recruited me. Big schools were recruiting him. Auburn, Alabama, big schools. He was a three-time All-State guy. I never played number one in high school. I played more number one in college than I did high school, which I know sounds mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. But um, but I was a small kid, too. I wasn't a very big kid. I mean, I grew seven inches in one year. So I went from being, you know, 5'4 to 5'11 um, between kind of the end of my sophomore year to the end of my junior year. So um, you know, I, I, I left high school, you know, at five eleven, a hundred, barely 140 pounds. And when I left college, I was, you know, six foot and 175 pounds. So, I mean, I was just, I just developed and got stronger and faster and hit it farther and just, um, kept all the good sort of small ball, short game stuff, you know? Um, and I was just built maybe better for college than maybe some of the other guys. And I just would have always been a, I think kind of a hungry guy, you know, and I was hungry in college. I wanted it badly to, to play at ball state. So, yeah. um, you know, so I wasn't really recruited that, 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 that big, you know, I really wasn't. And coach Yestingsmeyer, early Yestingsmeyer, my college coach gave me a chance to walk on and I walked on and made it stick, you know. Uh, at what point in time did you think beyond College. Oh, right. Sorry. Sorry. I got off there a little oh, bit. So, oh, no, you're so, good. So, 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 so I guess my point to all that, I got long window. I'm sorry. Uh, the point that was when I came out of high school, I, I don't, I didn't feel like I was like some super crazy good player. Even when I came out of ball state, I had a very nice career at ball state, but I didn't have a great career. I mean, I won, I lost in two playoffs for college championships and I won one tournament. So it wasn't like I had this amazing you know, career, but I was a solid player. Earl really liked me because like my senior year, I never shot over 78. I think my lowest round was 71, but my highest round was 78. He just liked that grinded out consistent kid. That was just kind of perfect for his program. Right. So I would say I felt like I had something really going as a professional. I turned pro right out of college in 91, but I I didn't win my first tournament uh, pro tournament. It was a small tournament until like 94 maybe 96 it was right about 96 that I think at that point I was like you know what I feel like maybe I could be a pretty good player here and it was 97 the next year that I got into three PGA Tour events and then you really proved yourself that you got something maybe going and it was right Right. in that time frame that I felt like you know I I think I might be a good player you uh the the first win in 95 it was you said that was on a mini tour no, 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 no. It was a, it was, it was a, a local event. It was an Indiana event. It was, it wasn't even a, an Indiana section event. It was um, uh, a buddy of mine, Jerry Williams, who's, who's no longer in the business anymore, but Jerry was in Geneva at Wabash Valley. And he had a, a, a pro-am, a really nice program, I mean, really good players. And then afterwards he had the, he took the 30 pros and we played a shootout, a nine hole shootout. And, um, and I won the shootout. And I think I made 1500 bucks, maybe. I mean, which seemed like all kinds of money back then, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know? Right, right, um, right. And that was really the first like thing I want as a professional where I was like, man, I just beat some good dudes. And, you know, there's, I'm surprised, you know, when, when, when you win something like that and the people that are there that, that think they're better than you are looking at you, like, how did he win that? You're like, you know what, I, that's doing something, you know? And that's what it felt like, you know, at that time. Cause I was beating some guys who had been around some older guys and it was, uh, it was a big deal. I mean, it was sure. a really big, I started winning every year after that. Once I won that, it kind of started, I started going, I started believing myself. And it probably gives you confidence to, to get it done. And, and when you get in that Go position down. again, you can, you can draw back on those experiences and know you can do it. Absolutely. And so you mentioned in 97, you, you play three or four PGA Tour events? Three. 
Three. Okay. Three. What, what yeah. was that experience like? <laughs> you know, that's such a, that's such a cool, that was such a cool summer. You know, Holly and I were just married we were, we've been married a year. Um, th- there were members at Riverbend when I was the pro there um, that had, you know, uh, Chris Barkis, Andy Jasper, some, some different, some different people. Jasper truck sales was kind of helping me at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, they just were in my ear to Monday qualify. They just, I don't, I don't even really know why you'd have to ask probably Chris. Cause I think Barkis was the one who really kind of, and he was just like, yeah, I think you need to go Monday. So he said, pick three and we'll pay for it. And you know, you can go try. So I did. So Holly's sister was living in Chicago or close to Chicago at the time. So we went up to her place. The first one I picked was the Western open. 1997. So I go up to Monday qualify. We get washed on Monday. So now it gets pushed to Tuesday. So this is literally how it happens. So I make the turn at one over, which has no chance. Right. And I've already like 12 and 13 and 15. I started getting going and I've got it maybe 10 feet on the last hole for 68 and I miss it. I tap it in. I go up. There's a number of 69s. There's a couple 67s. Frank Licklider's playing right behind me. He hits it in there a foot from the hole, makes it. He comes in 67. There's probably 30 guys out there. I'm like, well, this, this isn't going to work. And lo and behold, it just kind of kept falling off, falling off. So seven of us get into a playoff. So we're all playing together. So I go to the first tee, Phil, and there's Bob Estes, Anthony Painter, all these tour guys there, you know. First hole, four of us make birdie. I make birdie hitting their 10 feet. I'm the first one to make birdie. Some other guys had a close hole. It's a real easy, straight little hole. And literally the second hole, first guy gets up, hits it in the woods. Me and this other guy hit it right next to each other. We both lay it up right next to each other. He chips it up about five feet. I chip it up about four. He misses it. And literally that quickly, I'm standing over a putt yeah. to get in the tour. That's exactly how it happened. I made it and, and I got in and, and I just was like, I didn't, you don't even know what to do. You know, you're just like, what do I do? I'm calling the guys. They can't believe it. They're making plans to come up. So I missed the that, cut there. And that, that's, sorry, a, that, that's a big time tournament though at the time in 97. I mean, that's a big tournament. Tiger won. Yeah, I was gonna say, is, that, is that the one where he's walking down the fairway as a kid and, you know, 21 and, and everyone's behind him? I think yeah, if was, I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, yeah um, he was um, he was he played with Marco Mero. That was when those guys were buddies and yeah. they made the turn and we teed off behind them. So he was only maybe like four or five groups in front of me. And the roars that day going up, I mean, it gives me goosebumps almost now thinking about it. It was yeah. it was it was unreal. Yeah, so anyway, awesome. so, as, so as the season went on, or as, as the summer went on, I got in the Buick. Um, I had a ton of confidence going there. I went and won that qualifier, broke the course record, just had an amazing round, got in the Buick. I shot 72, 75 there maybe, and just missed the cut by a few. And then I went to Milwaukee and had no business getting in a, in a playoff there. That's a funny story. You know, I, I don't know if you guys know who, um, oh, I can't think of his name. I'm drawing a blank. Mark, I'll think, I'll think of it. He was a guy who played on tour and he, he, I knew of him because he was a really good player in Illinois at the time. He'd won their state open. He gets up in the first playoff hole. There's, there's, there's four of us and he snap hooks it. It's a big swap hook out of bounds. And the guy calls it out of bounds. Cause they had some people, you know, spotting and he got in his cart and left. <laughs> that was his playoff. He just got in the cart and drove. Oh off. man, like, he just, he just knew, right? It was over. I was, I was, I was up next. I was like, okay, I guess, I guess it's my turn. <laughs> so the three of us all hit, and a uh, guy hits a terrible chip, and he makes bogey. And then a really, really good player by the name of Scott he- Hebert, who has won the National Club Pro, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure he has, maybe a couple times. He was, he was a really good player. I knew he was. I was about 50 feet from the hole putting for birdie. I, I put it down about maybe five feet. It was not a very good putt, and he just. I don't know what happened. He only had about 20 feet and he putted it literally like halfway to the hole. He just sort of flipped and then he missed the next one. And all of a sudden I got five feet for Milwaukee and I made that. And 
I shot 71, 71 there and missed the cut by shot or maybe two two shots. So that, that's kind of how it went, man. It was just that quick. And all of a sudden it was like, (laughs) what just happened? You know, how, how did this, how did this happen? It was, it was an experience of a lifetime. It was cool. No, those are some good stories. And, uh, uh, Real quick, so you mentioned the Monday qualifying, the, the yeah. pre-qualifying Monday qualifying champ for Champions Tour. Yeah. Monday qualifying the PGA Tour, I mean, you got to shoot like, what, 63, 64, quite a bit? Mm, it's very different now, man. It's very right. different now. Than uh, it used to be? I, 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 yeah, I I don't know if I can answer it like that. I can tell you this, the Corn Ferry qualifying, because I don't, I'm not exactly sure exactly how the PGA Tour, I think the PGA Tour is like the Champions Tour where you just basically kind of have that 40, 50 player field. Mm-hmm. But the Corn Ferry now, they don't have a pre-qualifier. So you just sign up for the, the Monday. So when I was Monday and um, the PGA Tour at that time, the web.com, which I did try a couple of those and didn't get in, but they would have like 10 or 12 spots and you'd have a full field, 144 players. Well, they decided that they could split those spots put six at two spots, fill both of those fields, charge them twice as much, and I guess make money on it, I guess. That's what it is now. So I did try two of those when I first kind of lost my amateur status and then started playing again. And I mean, if you don't shoot 66 or five, you're not sniffing it. You can yeah. you can leave. You can get, you shoot 67, you might as well go put your stuff in the car. I know that sounds crazy, but yeah. it's, it's insane out there how good those young guys are and how low they shoot. So that is certainly going on right now. The PGA tour, I guess I'm, I'm not too sure, but yeah, you're probably right. 65, 66. Yeah. Yeah. It just shows the, the level of competition and the, the depth of the guys that aren't even in the field yet. Right? Incredible. I mean, yeah. incredible right now. I'm so glad to be done with the young kids. <laughs> I'm so glad. I much rather play against the old guys right now. And then let me tell you what, they're good as hell as well. They're yeah. so good. I've seen some unbelievably good golf in my three, two and a half years doing this now, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so after you, you get those events in in 97, so yeah. what, what does the next few years look like after that until you get your amateur status back in 06? Is that right? Yeah, I, I played in 90. Um, after that, I played a little bit at the end of 97. I played almost all of 98. I had a small group of guys who helped me out and I came to realize quickly that, it wasn't the right time and, and I wasn't quite good enough. Um, Holly and I were newlyweds. We had no money. We were just a, just that she was here working. I was going out trying to play the Hooters yeah. tour and make yeah. ends meet. It just was, it was it's the brutal. reality of life, right? I mean, it was brutal. It was yeah. brutal. So I came back and I got my PJ membership and then I went and I taught, I taught full time almost uh, well, 99 through 2003. That's what I did. I was teaching golf and I was playing and I, um, was very fortunate to have a great run in the Indiana PGA. Um, I won at least, I guess I won maybe three or four section events at that time. I won our Indiana PGA. I was low pro in the state open a couple of times. I, you know, there was money to be made. And so it was, it was good. It was, it was really good. But as I rolled out of 2003 post two, post nine 11, I, I knew that I either needed to go somewhere where I could go teach 12 months or I needed to think about doing something else. And, um, I, I, at that time I had established a friendship and, and, uh, with Jim Flick when Jim was alive, the coach, as they called him coach was really cool. And so I called coach and we were trying to work on a teaching job in the desert, which he was helping me with. And it was looking pretty good, but, um, Holly's dad was in, in, um, in very good health and I could just see, you know, we, we know our wives, right. And you can just see when she's talking about the potential to move, how much she really didn't want to. So I made the decision right. that I was just going to do something else. And I ended up in the car business. Um, and somewhere, because when you get your amateur status back, it's retroactive. So 
even it isn't it isn't from the date that you apply it's from your last violation so i applied for it almost a year and a half later because i knew i was going back to the violation and not the date i was doing it so they gave yeah. me two and a half years just based on my playing record and somewhere around march of 2006 i was reinstated as as an amateur yeah um yeah, I, I mean, that's, it's quite a lengthy process to, to go, th- I mean, from go, going to professional, get, getting your Amherst ass back. Um, it's something I wasn't aware yeah. of until I kind of looked into it when yeah. we were kind of discussing, you know, what we're going to talk about here. Um, yeah. so, so you get your amateur status back and uh, you kind of just, you kind of go on a run in the Fort Wayne <laughs> golf scene. I mean, let's yeah. just be honest. Uh, yeah. You win, you win five cities in seven years. Uh, the other two you don't win, you finish second and fourth. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, I, I, I didn't look at the records, but that's, that's pretty unprecedented yeah. or, or, or close yeah. to it. Um, so talk about fun. the, talk about the Fort Wayne golf scene and, and those, those, those cities that you won. Is there yeah. any one that stands out more than the other? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, when I came back, I hadn't competed in three years and I walked away from, from playing professional golf really at the peak of my career, which surprised a lot of people. It didn't have anything to do with that as much as the business side of it, but people were looking at it as, Oh man, you know, you won the PGA, you won this, you've done that. And now you're not, you're not going to, you're going to quit. Um, so I was, um, for lack of a better term, you know, I was licking my wounds a little bit. I mean, I wanted to be back in competitive golf, but um, I didn't know how people would feel about me being back. So, the, you know, the first couple of years that I played, I didn't play much. I mean, I literally played two golf association events in, in 06 and won the city because I didn't really want to, I felt like maybe I was stepping on people's toes a little bit, you know? Right. And so in 2007, I came out and I decided to play the spring open, which was the first event of the year. Mm-hmm. And Foster um, Park usually, right? It, it was at Foster Park. <laughs> and so I got my, put my push card out and I walked around to the green on the backside of the clubhouse and um, everybody was just like, it was just like, I was one of the guys, you know what I mean? Like everybody, Scotty P what's going on? How you doing? Coming up hugging. And, and I literally got in my car after that first round and started crying, to be honest with you, because it, the, the warmness and the feeling I had from those guys was like almost nothing I'd experienced in golf. And I just fell in love with golf again. I mean, they, they really pulled me onto the champion store, if you want to know the truth, because the co- competition with them and playing with them and getting to know them, becoming a, a part of the board of, of the foreign golf association and the wins. Yeah. The wins are great, man. I, 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 those five wins are so special to me, but it was just what golf became to me again through that group of people is immeasurable. Cause I just loved competing there. I, I missed, I, if there's any amateur golf, I miss it's that it's playing with those guys. So I show up at their events occasionally, like once in a while, you'll see me at a golf association event, just kind of walking around seeing people and watching my buddy, Matt Schmidt or David Belleville, just cause I just love, I just love those tournaments and love, love those guys. But out of all of the events is probably the 2006, the first one, my dad was dying of cancer at the time. He had brain cancer. He was in, he was in bad shape and he was able to come to that the last day and watch me win my first city. Um, And, uh, um, and just a cool story about that. Just, just since we're talking about it is, um, you know, we passed away in November. Um, My folks had decided they wanted to be cremated and then, and then buried, plotted next to each other, which was a little bit different. You know, when I found that out, I was like, okay, that's kind of okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we needed to get an urn for uh, my dad. Well, Mike Rieke was the president at that time and he he had switched it up and I got this beautiful glass 
trophy about this big probably you know and it was just a glass empty thing so we ended up burying my dad in it so you know my trophy is with him forever that's awesome which is which which is why it's the most special one you know yeah, yeah. big time oh, that's understandable yeah. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned when you, when you first got your amateur status came back and came back and played on the fwga that there maybe was some trepidation just kind of coming back and you know maybe yeah. a little nervous about the feedback from people. Did you get any sort of blowback from, from any, anybody playing like, Oh man, this guy used to be a pro and now he's with us. No, no, no. And, and I was pretty conscientious of it too at times because, you know, um, in 2008 through 2010, you know, I was carrying a plus six handicap. I was playing the best golf of my life. I was winning a lot. I was winning at the state level. Um, I won two PGA section events entered as an amateur, um, cause amateurs can play in those. Um, so, I mean, I was, I, I made the final four of the Western amateur. I mean, there was a lot going on there. So I was really careful. I, I, again, I don't want to sound the wrong way. I was careful not to play in everything. Yeah. I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I did, I really didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be that guy. I love playing and I love competing. I didn't feel like I was just going to go win everything. I didn't feel that way, but I was just conscientious about making sure that I, kind of played the right amount and didn't play too much and didn't want to get in anybody's way or make anybody feel like that. I just, so yeah, there was some, there was always some trepidation there, but no one made me feel that way. Those guys never made me feel that way. As a matter of yeah. fact, a lot of those guys would be like, I want you to play. They start challenging you. They want to play, you know, that's just the competitiveness of it. But I was always a bit careful, you know, even like scrambles. I mean, sometimes you go play those big hole scrambles or those money scrambles where you're really trying to do well. But if someone invited me to play in a scramble at that time, if we had a really good team, I usually turn it down. But if we had a really kind of crappy team or just a fun team, you know, because yeah. I didn't want to win those. I don't want to win that event. I don't want I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. You know what I mean? So um, but no, nobody ever made me feel that way. They're the they're the they're, they're just the best group of guys I've ever I've ever known. Yeah. I mean, having I mean, I played on the. the in the association events since I was 18, which is, well, I guess, 2001 now, but I mean, I mean, I've been playing in for almost 20 years and you're right. The camaraderie uh, between the guys, everyone kind of roots for each other in a way, you know, if someone no gets, you know, post a good round, a good tournament. There's always a lot of guys there waiting for you to let you know. No so, question. Um, Couldn't agree it, more. It is a good group of guys and, and you beat some really good players in those cities where, oh, I mean, there's, there's, this isn't any slouches we're talking about the guys oh, that maybe you, that finished second to you in some of those tournaments. Hey, Phil, when I say this, I mean this sincerely. I didn't step into one city thinking I was just going to go wax at this field. Not one time, not once. Um, there were, I, I knew if I didn't play my best, I wasn't going to win. I mean, and that, and I mean, you look at the Eric, remember Eric Johnston, when Eric Johnston was here, Eric Johnston was the best, um, prospect to go play the PGA tour in the last 20, 25 years up to that yeah. point. If you ask me at that time, I played with him and, you know, he just had a bad nine holes that last day and gave me a chance to kind of get ahead of him. And I made some birdies down the stretch and he wasn't able to answer. And, and I ended up winning, but yeah, I mean, he was on his way to shooting 18, 19 under there halfway through the tournament. And I was six, seven shots back just going, man, I, I, don't, I don't think I can beat this kid. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of great players. A lot. Ver, I mean, look at like the Steve Vernascos of, of, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. how Amazing. He is? Amazing. He is so good, man. He's I, 60, I, whatever. He's 10 years oh, old. So he's what, 63 years old. He is, he's a beast. Yep. I mean, these guys are all, I tell you what, the level of play at the golf association is, I'm so proud of those wins. I mean, I, I really, oh, yeah. I, I just, I love the group. 
I, I, I said to someone today, I was looking at, at, at some of the past city winners and Sam Till won his first city, I think in 82. Oh, and then his last one in 15, I mean, 33 years apart. That's pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, yeah the, you know, the level of competition, I know one year, Justin Huber was, was right there and he's, I that mean, was the year I won. He was second. Yeah. 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 And so, you look at him now. I mean, I wouldn't want to play him now. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. he's, he's got, he's, he's probably, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he earned a PGA tour card at some point here. He's that good. And I see him when he comes to town, I watched him practice at cherry a little bit. He just hits bombs. He can't, he can't even hit drivers at cherry Hill. <laughs> oh, he's hitting it. He's yeah, hitting it in the trees, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's unreal. You know, real quick about Sammy. I, uh, um, when I had my, my, when I had birdies and bogeys, when I had the radio show, we did, uh, we had Steve Renasco uh, actually sit in for Stiller when he was gone one week. And so I wanted him to rate the best players that I've ever played in Fort Wayne. I wanted his top three. I was thinking ter- in terms of anybody, he was kind of thinking in terms of, of amateurs, but I had Sam Till and this, and I still believe this and this, nothing against Tom Kelly. who has got nine cities. He's my friend. I love him. Tommy TK. What's up? But Sam has won in so many decades and he's won locally regionally national senior events he he's the he's the best amateur that's ever played in our town the best career amateur that's ever played just based on his body of work nationally uh regionally citywide all over the country i I don't think we have anybody better than him i put him at the top number one right now yeah and the the longevity i mean unreal it's unreal amazing Unreal. Um, I've got nothing but love for him. Sam, what's happening? That's awesome. So your last city was in, in 2012. And right. uh, so uh, in 2013, I, I'm assuming you have a full slate of amateur <laughs> events. And you yeah. I, I, and from what I understand, you, you're, you're, you're playing some. And while you're in the middle of, of a big amateur event, statewide event, you, you get yeah. some news. So let's, yeah. you know. Let's kind of get that yeah, one out there. Yeah, this, this started this started back probably in 2011, to be honest with you. And what happened was um, Rick Hemsoth, who's my, been my lifelong swing coach, my brother in golf, um, connected me with Glenn Solwack of Cleveland Tricks on Golf. And so Glenn was like, hey, listen, if you want some balls or, or if you need some equipment, I can put you on a program where you can get like half off a of cost, personal use, right? And then they send you golf balls. Well, in 2005, the, the, the USGA – put a rule in that said amateurs can accept merchandise. There's some limits to it. You can't just accept everything. You can't turn around and sell it. You know, there's rules to it, but, but for college players, for top shelf amateurs, whatever, you can accept merchandise. So that wasn't a really well-known rule. And so as people saw me, you know, now have a Cleveland bag, wearing a Shrixon hat, just all on my own. It's not no agreement I have with them. Um, And telling people that, yeah, you know, I'm getting some balls from them. There were some guys questioning that this went on, starting in 11 and it kind of kept going. It kind of kept going. It kind of kept going. And so <clears throat> after my little city win in 2013, I was in the parking lot and I got confronted by Mike Davis and by Ron Schmucker, the president, vice president of the golf association. And they were questioning it. And I said, you know what? I wasn't mad or anything. I just said, you know, I, I I'm going to submit something to USGA. I just, I've had enough. There's no problem with this. The, the rules are clearly stated. Let's just let them rule on it and then let's get past it. Okay. Cause I, I'm tired of, talking about it because there's nothing wrong with this. Right. Well, I had done a 10 second testimonial for Eric Touche on a golf, et cetera, commercial because Eric had helped me. I liked Eric. I went to the rule book. I looked at the rule. It didn't look like there was an issue. And so I, I, I did it, you know, and I basically just said, Hey man, he's helped me. And I recommend anybody go to him. That's all I did. Yep. And so in a, in a, in a, in a meeting 
a board meeting of the golf association, someone asked me if I got paid for that or heard I got paid for it. I said, come on, you guys, it's Eric Tushab. He's not right. paying me to do 10 seconds. I'm just, I'm just trying to help the kid. You know, there, no, I didn't get paid. But because that was questioned, when I submitted everything, I put that in there. I, I put everything in there. I put that in there as well. And I, and I called Mike David, the executive director of the Indiana PGA. And I said, Mike, this is what's going on. Uh, Mike's a former Ball State guy, great friend. And I said, I, I really would like to just kind of go through the USGA. He said, all right, I'll help you. So he submitted to the USGA. So fast forward a month, five weeks later, whatever, I'm playing in the state amateur. Uh, I played in the stadium. I was, I was runner up the year before I was just, I was playing great. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go get this. It's at South Bend country club. And I woke up the morning after the first round. I think I shot, I don't know, 71 or two the first day scores weren't super low. It's a hard golf course. And I get up and six o'clock in the morning, Mike sends me an email says, Hey, we need to talk. I was like, Whoa, I mean, that doesn't sound good. And so the USGA ruled at that time um, that they felt I violated my under status by the commercial not the relationship with Shrix on Cleveland, although they asked, you know, do you have agreements with them to wear their hat and stuff? I said, no, I, I just yeah. I wear their yeah. stuff because I want to, you know, it's not a big deal. They went, straight to the, they went straight to the commercial. So um, a guy by the name of um, uh, Bernie, Bernie Lahr was the head of the USGA for that. So he included his number, direct number on there. So I picked the phone up right away early in the morning and woke woke his butt up and said, Hey, you know, what's going on. So their ruling was that I personally benefited from it. This is how this even sounds crazy even saying it, but we'll see it. We'll see how you feel. I personally, I violated it because I personally benefited from the commercial because I could not that I did. I could receive tournament invites. That was their rule. Which was, which is hypothetical, right? He said that to me. And I said, hang on, time out, time out. I said, you're, you're going to pull my amateur status. You're going to rip my amateur status from me of something that could happen. I said, is Jack going to call me to play in the memorial or something? Because I did a 10 second commercial for Eric Touche. I All mean, right. you understand how crazy right. this sounds to me. And he just was, he was dug in, man. He was like, nope, no, yeah. this is the deal. You can so, appeal it if you want is what he said. You can appeal it. I was like, okay, whatever. So that all of a sudden, you know, things got turned upside down, turned on its head, man. And 10 minutes. So they deemed that it, it could help elevate your status to right. pot- potentially receive additional invites That's to it. tournaments. That's it. That, that was the rule. So, so and, now, and, you know, what, did they say there was a precedent that was set before, before you, some this happened to someone uh, else? Or? I don't know if that was specifically asked, but they sure okay. seemed intent on what it was going to be, you know? So okay. then, you know, you go, where do you go from there? You know, I'm like, you know, so I call Holly she can't believe it. So then I didn't know what to do. So on the way home, I called Tommy Shagler, who was at 21 Alive at the time. And I said, hey, you want to you want an exclusive? And he was like, yeah, what's up? And I go, you won't believe this, but I just lost my under status. He goes, what? Yeah. I said, I'm just telling you, man. And he, so he goes, just drive straight to the station. So that's what I did. So <laughs> I drove there and then it was on the news and, you know, my phone's blowing up. And, and then what happened was... Um, somehow some way through all of this and I, I don't even really quite understand Phil but it got picked up by the golf channel and NBC News and all of a sudden it started going viral and I started having golf week call me and golf uh, yeah. the golf channel and and all of a sudden it's just like whoa you know what's going on it's all over it's on the internet you can look it up and it's you know it was just like man, yeah, it's it still just, there it's still there by the way I, I know it was crazy <laughs> it, it, it was insane and so 
you know, at that point, you know, you're just like, man, should I, should I appeal it? Should, you know, should I try to get my Amherst status back? You know, what should I do? And we were kind of bouncing around. And then um, I got a phone, I got two phone calls. Uh, uh, one from someone, it doesn't matter who it is, but it's, it's someone who's in golf. And then another was um, from someone in Indy that was more on the legal side of things, but they, um, they, they, they thought I should sue the USJ. Um, you know, we had the, the Casey Martin thing. We had um, uh, even Fort Olinger, you know, they're suing over cart use and all this stuff. But, um, you know, they're saying, you know, this, this is a big deal because now we, you know, the USJ is, you know, we don't think they're right for this. We think this is, you know, a bunk ruling. And this could be an opportunity to, you know, change the, you know, what amateur status is in the game. And, you know, they were, they were just, you know, my head was spinning. I was just like, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I can't afford to do this. You don't have to, it doesn't, it'll be pro bono or whatever. And so that happened maybe two days after. And then the day after that, I started getting phone calls from players, one, one in Indiana and then several that are kind of more, a little more, were asking me what the heck was going on because they did a commercial for a golf course two years ago and hit shots on that commercial. And now there's people locally challenging them because they think they can get their amateur status ripped because they're winning in that area. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what, what is going on? And so yeah, it's a it blows up into a bigger situation. It was it was, yeah. un, it was unreal. And so long story, just to wrap it up, was we we were on the back porch. Holly and I were sitting there. This was after all this went on. This is five days after the story hit and everything. And she just leaned over to me, and she kind of just put her arm around me. She said, you know, I, I want to say something. You know, if 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 you want to hear it, I said I do. And she said, you know, maybe this is just where we're supposed to be. Maybe this is where we're supposed to be. You know, you're going to turn pro at 50 anyways. You know, you're going to look, you know, you, you've, you've had your fun. You won five cities. You're, you know what I mean? It's just, maybe this is, it's time to move on and, and start looking back, you know, start looking forward to mm -hmm. what's in front of us. And it was the best advice she gave me. I told everybody, no, I'm not suing the USGA. I'm not putting my energy into that. I'm going to put my energy into getting better and continue to move forward. And I'm going to start playing professional golf again. And um, the radio show happened, which would have never happened if I wouldn't have, if I would have tried to, you know, take the other path. Yeah. And that became a six year love affair for me. So I have no regrets whatsoever. I'm, I had no ill feelings towards the USGA. I think, I think the rule needs to be changed. I mean, I mean, think about this, Phil, you know, we look at these Titleist commercials and you see the amateurs on Titleist commercials hitting balls and stuff. I sure. mean, according to the USGA, quite honestly, they should all lose their amateur status. Sure. I mean, I, you know, Lucy Lee had her ruling this year where she was on the Apple watch commercial. And, you know, I talked about it on a video on my web, on my Facebook page and, uh, my, my, my thoughts were absolutely, she should not lose her amateur status, but did she violate amateur status? Of course she did, you know, but she's just promoting the women's game. She's just promoting girls, amateur golf. She didn't accept anything. She, who, who right. cares? Right. I mean, it needs to be redefined. It's, it's sure. just not right. It's just, listen, you, if you're a pro, you're doing it for cash. If you're not doing it for cash, you're an amateur. Doesn't mean, I mean, think of all the media that's out there. Think of what we're doing right now. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of that now it needs to be rethought what amateur status is in the game and let amateurs promote the game. What's the, what's the harm in that? There's no harm in that. Uh, it doesn't hurt yeah. anybody. So I, that's kind of how it all went down. I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, it, it, there's been a lot of rule changes in golf, the actual on the course rule changes the last couple of years. And a lot of it has yeah. to do with in intent. Um, and it sounds like this is a situation right. where what is what was the intent? And the intent was, you know, to help out a friend, you know, 10 second plug of their business. Right. 
And um, it, no it sounds, money exchanged, right? right? No money. It sounds like right. there needs to be some common sense that comes into play. But I will so, say the USGA has there's been some other stuff on course rulings where, you know, we go back to the Dustin Johnson thing in 2016. I mean, so maybe this common sense thing isn't their thing. And I I know you probably don't want to say too much about the USGA. No, it's okay. Listen, I I don't have a problem with with it. It's, it's, um, it's, I, if I had USGA on here with us, I would say the exact same things that I said. I mean, I, I don't have anything against them. I think there's just, you come across organizations and people in your life that just think they're a little more important than they really are. And I think that's the best way to explain them. You know, they think, you know, they, they want to be the story in golf sometimes instead of being behind the story, right. You know, the Royal and ancient, you know, seems to do a better job maybe of that, of just kind of being in the back behind everything where, you know, you look at a U.S. open, they come in two years ahead of time. They want to, Hey, you got to change this. You got to do this. You got to do that. We're going to mow this. We're going to do that. The RNA says, you know what, just go play. They don't do yep. anything with the golf course differently. Right. They might roll the greens a little bit and speed it up. They play the course as it is. Right. Go compete, right? I mean, it's they're just two different organizations, but I have nothing yeah. against the USGA at all. Nothing. I played in the senior US Open in 2018. It was one of the most magical moments of my life in golf, and they ran a great show, and I, I have nothing but respect for them. But my situation was just a, a little yeah. – I, I, think, I think they mishandled it myself. I mean, it sounds like like you you've kind of forged ahead with a positive attitude and spun it in sure. a way that you could you could make make a positive out of it and look forward to to the, the champions tour. But you had a gap there, obviously, because you were what around forty five when that when that happened. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I so, was forty five so, years old. So that I kind of want to get into that little stage where you had with, with, the, with the radio <laughs> show uh, Birdies and Bogies. How did that come about? Yeah, you know, Birdies and Bogies happened um, uh, really because of Marty Aloff, who is Stiller. People know him as Stiller. Um, And he had started a radio show uh, with someone else and uh, had me on the show. And then it kind of went south. And so at some point he asked me if I would finish the season with him. That was the, that was kind of our first season. And and we did a number of shows together. And then he said, Hey, do you want to just, you want to go with this? It was called T to green at the time was the name of the show. And it was owned by Federated Media. Um, and so then Stiller, um, got a job in Columbus, Ohio. He got an opportunity in radio. That was a, at that time was a once in a lifetime type thing. And so he left. And so Billy Elvis came in and did the show with me, um, to keep the show going. And that, that was, that was a challenge, uh, for about a year and a half. Cause we were recording the show on Friday night, acting like it was live on Saturday because that was the only time he could do it. He was yeah. working radio in Lima, Ohio. He was driving his butt over every day, every Friday and giving himself literally a two hour window. But if we couldn't get it done in those two hours, we, we don't have a show for the week. We did that for almost a year and a half and it, and it was good. And then Marty uh, Stiller came back to town. And uh, when he came back, uh, I talked to Billy and just asked him if he wouldn't mind allowing Marty to come back so we could start doing the show live again because Saturday mornings he couldn't do and he was an absolute gentleman about it and a great friend and said yes and then we then we went to Federated and said hey we want to own the show would that be okay and they said sure so we took over ownership of the show and got our own sponsors and did what you're doing and we did that for almost three seasons I guess three seasons and it was yeah I would have never guessed I'd love doing it as much as as much as I did, I just, it was so great. I just had so much fun. It was just a blast. You're going through it right now, man. You know, 
it's it's awesome it's just yeah. it's a lot of fun, I, you know? I remember listening i mean i would wake up on saturday mornings even when i was home and i would i would want to listen to it just because i wanted to i wanted to hear what you guys were going to talk about that you know for that show but you, you yeah. guys were outstanding together and the, the chemistry yeah, i mean that that's something that you can't make up you know and uh, you and listeners can can kind of identify if that's that's a real thing and you guys seem to have it well, you hit it right on the head. That was always the thing with us. Um, and so as you know, in the last season was my first year. That was when I had my tour card. And so we decided, well, listen, we're going to go forward with the show. We'll have some people sit in and people did great jobs. Eric Touche, David Belleville. Uh, I know I'm missing people. Sorry for if I, if, I, if I not remember, but they were kind of the two main people. But we just couldn't hook up and do the show enough. And by the end of the year, we were like, listen, the schedule's not working anymore. Every Saturday morning isn't working. Stiller, um, Stiller's lovely wife, Kayla, was pregnant. So mm-hmm. they were going to have a little one. I was, you know, on the road. It just it just ran its course. It wasn't anything between Marty and I or, yeah. you know, any animosity with Federated Media, nothing. Everything was great. When we sat down and decided we were going to be done, there was there was some there was a lot of hugs and and thank yous and a lot of uh, you know some sadness in the room too because it was a it, it, the show did exceptionally well I mean it yeah. was very popular it was it was fun so um I I loved it I did man it was it was a blast to get, just talk golf for an hour every Saturday on the on the radio it was god it was just oh yeah it was great man and and it's and you're going through it now with your show and it's going to continue to get better and better and better and but your passion for it you can tell you can you can feel it man that's what you need and you've got it man it's uh, it's oh, cool thanks, what man. you're doing no, I appreciate yeah, it cool. Uh, so, so kind of to, to put a bow on it, then we, we, yeah. we get to 2019, right? I mean, yeah. that's so, so tell us about the, you know, getting on the champions tour and sort of yeah. how that, that year goes for you. Yeah. So, so, you know, people like to always ask me about Q school because, you know, there's this, this, this thing at Q school being just this pressure packed freaky thing and it can be, yeah. but it's really what you make of it, you know, and I've been able to be able to play in play well, really well in Q school. I mean, I won uh, the East region in my first Q school. I finished third the year that I got my tour card. I just been able to play just like I normally play and not be too caught up in that. So I, I went through uh, the finals of Q school with my buddy, John Wall, who's my caddy, who is a full-time caddy at the concession club in uh, Florida. He is from new Haven. I met him through Dave Alverson and Quinn Griffin. And he's the, he's, he had two caddies for me when I play, he's caddied at every, all of my champion stuff. And so he was at Q school with me and we just had a, just a kind of a mediocre week. It was just, um, there was certainly more pressure at the finals. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was yeah. tough. Yeah. And when I got done, uh, I was at plus six, we're playing TPC Tampa Bay, which is just a really, really hard golf course. And so I, I ended up being, I finished at plus six. I hold about a four foot on the last hole and I was plus six. So I came in, I looked at the board and I called Holly and I said, you know, we need to be ready for bad news. And she was like, well, just, you know, typical, you know, your support, you know, just hang in there. It's going to be fine. And right, Johnny right. keeps going, Johnny keeps going, dude, we're going to, we're going to be fine. We're going to make, it's going to, we're going to make it, dude. We're going to make it. I'm like, John, we're not going to make it. This isn't going to happen, man. I got to be in the top 30. I'm 36 right now. You're looking at, you know, the best guys in the field are on the back nine. They're not, it's not going to happen. So we went in and we ate and we went out and we chipped and putted and John kept checking his phone. And he's like 33, 32. And then David Moreland, who, um, you know, was certainly going to get inside the top 30, a guy that I played a lot of college golf against in Kent state, still play against my champion store. David Moreland's a good man. David, how you doing? He unfortunately made double on the last hole to go about one behind me. And when that happened, all of a sudden I was like, Oh my gosh, this, right. we might, we might have a card, you know? Yeah. And, um, 
Craig Canada had about a 30 footer on the last hole to, to, to bump me or for me to get in and oh he missed gosh. it. And <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was a little disoriented. Like I couldn't, I didn't know if I was in, I wasn't And Brian Cooper, who's uh, you know, Tom Workmeister, Brian Cooper and John Inman are my guys on the champions tour and Coop was already in uh, and he knew he was going to, going to be inside the top 30. He just kind of came behind me and almost tackled me to be honest. And he's a big dude. He's like six, three and two twenty. you know, he's this huge yeah. guy. And he just came in and got me from behind and he was, and he was hitting me on the chest and smacking me and saying, you made it. And, and at that point I realized I was, you know, I got in the top 30 and, and when you make the top 30, you're a member of the tour, which gives me, um, makes me a member of all the TPC clubs in the United States. I can go play any TPC club for nothing. I just call the PGA tour concierge, go practice anywhere I want. That's a decent um, perk. <laughs> it was unreal, dude. I'll tell you, I played some, I played a bunch of them. I mean, they were great. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and then it gives you, you know, membership on the champion store, which, which I had, and then it gives you privilege to go, um, you know, straight to Mondays. And I played 10 that year and I made two, I, I, I won the money qualifier with Coop which was cool. The two of us were both in Atlanta and then we actually both got into Canada as well. I got into a playoff in Canada against uh, um, uh, Guy Burroughs and Patrick Sheehan. And I, I made about a 20 footer on the first playoff hole and I, and I got in and I played in Canada and those were the two events I got in. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, that's a, that's a good story. Yeah. Uh, so you, you played in the, the, the senior open in 18, is that correct? 18. Yeah. In 18. And that was in Colorado, Colorado, Broadmoor, what was, Colorado, yeah. Colorado Springs. Uh, so t- tell us about what that's like playing in, I mean, one, a, a major championship like that. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was my first major, you know, I, I missed, uh, I missed a U.S. Open by a shot in 2003 and I missed uh, getting in the PGA through the National Club Pro in 2002 by a shot. So uh, I was close to getting in a couple, but it wasn't until my the senior major, but uh, it, it was a challenge because I'd never played in Colorado before. And, you know, the airs, you know, ball flies more and, and all that. And, uh, and so I actually was for three weeks prior, I was at apex on track, man, you can simulate altitude. And so we were simulating altitude, trying to get our numbers, right. Which is yeah. really interesting because they'll tell you that it's 10%, right. Is yeah. what you should, how you should, you know, take off or whatever, but that's not really true because the higher you, we found out on TrackMan that the higher you hit it uh, with a club, the farther it goes in relation to your normal. So wedges go farther, but if you hit a forearm that doesn't get in the air as much is more penetrating, sure. it doesn't go 10% farther. Right. So it was really interesting to me. So I had a great, I did great work with Quinn, man. We had a great grid of numbers. We, the numbers were right on. But uh, the, the mountain influence was so crazy at the Broadmoor that you would putt a ball. And this is, I know this is hard to believe, but let's say you had a ball that broke left. The ball would curl on, uh, if it was coming, like the mountain was straight to one side or the other. So right. if I had the mountain on this side and it was going this way, the ball would stop and it would almost kind of come back. It would curl. It was, it would, the mountain influence was impossible. I mean, how some of the guys yeah. shot some of the scores they shot out there. It's just probably experience, right. I guess, but um, you know, we got to play with Larry Mize, Tom Workmeister and I were both in my, my good buddy, Tommy, who I just mentioned, and we played with Larry Mize and Corey Pavin in a practice round on that Tuesday. That was unreal. That was yeah. incredible. It's awesome. Um, the people that we met was just the stuff that you saw was just incredible. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, any, any, any good stories, not necessarily just from that week, but about any of the other weeks that, that you've, you've played champions tour events, uh, yeah. maybe something that might be noteworthy about, you know, maybe like a, a big name, like a Corey Pavin. 
Well, I've got, I, yeah, you know, I, I mean, I got a bunch of them, but let me, I'll give you two. I'll give, I'll give you two really, really kind of funny ones. One is um, there was a player and I I probably shouldn't mention his name. I guess I won't (laughs) because he, on Monday night, when I went to the Broadmoor, I had to, I had, this all happened at the Broadmoor on Monday, actually, but I, I go back to the locker room and he's trashed. He's drunk. He's, he's, he's been drinking. He's, he's hammered. (laughs) uh and i mean bad like his dudes are trying to get him out of there yeah. so on tuesday morning when we're going to play with larry and Corey, it's eight we teed off at eight o'clock so i'm out on the range at seven you know whatever you yeah. know you're excited right it's the u.s open i mean we're playing with Corey pavin and larry mize we couldn't sleep you know so i get out there and this player who was hammered at seven o'clock night before is there and i walked by him and you could still smell the you can still smell the alcohol on them. Okay. So we go to the practice screen. So the way it's set up is there's a practice screen down off of the T of the, the range. So the range is up here. You walk down practice screen and then 60 yards that way is short game area. Okay. And it's all fairway. And you know, that's where you're hitting wedges and bunkers and stuff. So this player, I am, I'm not making this up and it's packed out there. There's all kinds of players everywhere. And, um, uh, he walks out to the practice screen and I'm on that side of the green. I'm not more than 15 feet from him. And he, t- he walks out on the green. He's got a wedge in his hand and he drops three balls right on the green. And he's still, you know, from the night before. <laughs> and he proceeds to hit three balls off the practice screen to the short game area, right off the green. Now, in all fairness to him, I walked over and looked, he didn't touch the green. It's the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my life, man. <laughs> but he hit that third ball and he walked off and he kind of stumbled off and Kenny Perry was standing right there. And I just saw him turn around and look at his buddy and kind of threw the a-hole word at him. Like, what a jerk, you know, but that happened at the U S open. I, I looked at Tom Workmeister. I was like, you gotta yeah. be kidding me. That just happened. You know, that's one, that's one story. The other one that's kind of funny. There was um, when I was going to pick up John wall, my caddy, I was in my car. I was talking to my wife and someone came up to the window and kind of started being all crazy at the window. And I look over and it's Carlos Franco. Oh, sure. And, yeah. and he thought I was someone else. <laughs> and so then he realizes and he goes, Oh man, amigo, I'm so sorry. And I go, no, no, you're good. And all week I kept running into Carlos Franco everywhere. Like I come around the corner and he'd be there and he'd be like, Hey man, right. hey, Carlos, you know, <laughs> and it was all week. It went on, it went on and on. And, and one of, uh, one of um, uh, Tom's buddies ran into him at the bar the night before the last round. And, and I told that story and he goes, dude, I just saw him last night. And I said, really? He goes, yeah, I met him. He was standing right there. And, uh, and I turned around and I just said, you know, he said, I'd had a few beers and I just said, Carlos, Hey man, I'm such a fan. It's great to meet you. And he goes, Hey man, great to meet you. He's a super friendly guy. People just love him on the champion store. And yeah. he goes, Hey, he goes, how'd you play it? And Carlos goes, man, the hole was that big. <laughs> <laughs> and so I saw him on that Sunday and I went up to him and asked him if he remembered saying that to our buddies. And he said, yeah. And he took a picture with me and, uh, uh, there's a lot of that that goes on out there. The, the, the camaraderie in the, on the champions tour is way different than the PGA tour stuff. You know, that's yeah. a pretty, uh, very competitive, very doggy dog, um, with, with good reason, you know, the money out there is unbelievable and everybody's really fighting hard and there's so many good young players, but the champions tour is, yeah. champions tour is a cool place to be, man. It really yeah. is. The, the guys out there are amazing. Yeah. I mean, I just watched the tournament uh, last week in Hawaii that, that Clark won. Um, I mean, it just, it just seems like there's the, the guys out there, they're, they're, they're playing competitively, but there's a laid back vibe to it. And it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of refreshing to watch because, you know, it's, yeah. it, it just, it, it, there's a different vibe to it, but I, I love watching champions tour. It's, I mean, the golf is super underrated. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, well, listen, the guys out there can flat play every yeah. single one of them. It's, it's, it's awesome. I, I've had the chance to play with Jerry Kelly, with Kurt Byram, with David McKenzie, with, as I mentioned, Corey and Larry. Um, I played with Tommy Tolls, Mark Kalkovecki. It's, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how good, how good these guys are, man. It's, it's, it's so much fun. It really is. And, and, and you're right. The camaraderie is incredible. I mean, it's um, uh, my, my first event in Atlanta. Um, I, I walked in the, 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 the locker room and, you know, I, I don't know anybody really, you know, but you're saying hi to people and acting like, you know what you're doing. And I went to my locker and, you know, your, your manufacturer shricks on puts golf balls in there for me and gloves. And it, it's nice, you know, and yeah. so I'm leaving. And as I'm walking out, Mike Goodis walks in. Now Mike Goodis was, has been on the tour for a long time. He's won a couple of times, but he was an amateur from, you know, North Carolina. He was a, he was a, a newcomer at one time and he sees me and just makes a beeline for me. He goes, Hey Scott, now, I've never met him before, but these guys all pay attention to who Mondays and who doesn't. And yeah. so they kind of decipher, well, I know everybody here except this one guy. That must be Scott. I mean, that's he right. just walked right at me. And right. he just walked right up to me and he shook my hand. He said, Hey dude, congratulations. I know this is your first event. Best of luck. If you need anything, just don't even hesitate. If I'm around or you see me in the in eating, you just come sit with me. I, I mean, you know, you, you yeah, that's very cool. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, man. You know, that goes on out there all the time. Those guys, there's, there's, you know, listen, everybody has their kind of whatever people or whatever, but I mean, 99% of the guys in the champions tour are just gentlemen, just, just yeah. fabulous. Oh, it, I, I'm interested playing with these guys, uh, you know, playing with some of the names that you've talked about. Is, is there anything that you've picked up from playing with them that you kind of maybe said, Oh man, that's something, that's something I want to try. If it's course management, something with their golf swing, something with their putting, you know, is there anything like that that you've kind yeah. of like a chameleon kind of pick up? Well, I can just say that, you know, at that level, it's, and it's kind of always been like this because remember I did play three PGA tour events and I, and I got to see that at that time. It's yeah. people focus in on the distance, you know, how far guys hit it a tiger or right now, you know, a DeChambeau or whoever, but it's, it's the way I would explain tour players or the best guys I've seen out there is whether they hit wedge or foreign, it all looks the same. It's just the most consistent of everything. And it's, and it's, and it's so simple. It's not some guys aren't hitting these amazing shots that you're just like, I can't believe, you know, how good that was. It's, 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 it's different. It's just, it's just, it's just one right after the other, but they never, they just don't miss. They birdie every par five, they get, they they shoot four under and then they go on the next day and they do it again. And if they do it for four days, they're 16 under. And I mean, that's, that's how they do it. So it's the simplicity, the relaxed atmosphere of it, how, how, how calm they are, which is kind of what I said, said earlier, I was working on, you know, it's that, it's that just uh, sureness of it. You know, the confidence is, is just amazing. Is that change in your mentality or what you're trying to change? Do you feel like at some points you've tried to force the issue? Is that, is that, has that caused you to want to change that thought process or? No, no, I would say that it's, it's um, a lack of, um, you know, when you're not out there a lot, it's, it's, it's a foreign environment, right? Obviously your heart rate is, I mean, if you put a heart rate monitor on me, you put a heart rate monitor on Kurt Byram in Atlanta, I guarantee you Kurt's heart rate is, you know, probably 70. <laughs> Mine's probably 120. Right. You know what I mean? So right. that speeds you up. You know what I mean? You, you make decisions quicker. You're, you're talking faster. Your timing's a little off, you know? So um, I just think that it's, uh, it, it's more of just a level of comfort that they just have out there that they're just so, it just seems easy to them where you're out there and it almost seems hard. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, it's just, um, 
the more you play in those in that environment, the more you get inside those ropes, the more you have success inside those ropes, the, the easier it gets. I mean, there is a, a factor there, but I, I just feel it's that more than than anything else. I don't think it's a talent level. I don't think it's I don't think if you watch me hit balls in the range next to whoever that you would look that different, you know, I might even hit yeah. it farther, but right. um, it's just, it's just a level of consistency and comfort. That's just amazing for guys that have been out there for 20, 25, 30 years, you know? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It, in, in your career, and this can go way back. Is there anyone that yeah. you've seen hitting balls on the range or that you've played with that you're like, oh, man, that guy, that guy's different. He's different than the rest. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tiger for sure. Back in 97 was yeah. insane. Um, the story I tell about him is, you know, the, the 15th hole at Cog Hill is a par five that um, I, I missed the cut. So I played for two rounds and I drove a golf ball just off the left side of the fairway down next to a bunker and Tiger drove it there in the final round in my divot. I mean, he hit it in the exact same spot. And when wow. I went down there, my dad was my dad was was right there because the the on the hole, they let the, the patrons in on the left side. That's where I hit it on the right side, you could never get over there. So my dad was standing right there and he even said after the round, he goes, man, was that some spin that you were in on 15? And I took out an eight iron and I chopped it as hard as I could. I probably moved it 120 yards up the fairway, which was fine. I wedged it in the green. I made my five. I went on. He drove it right in the exact same spot in the final round and he knocked a four iron on the green and made four and one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no way. I saw that and I, I just looked at my wife. I said, what? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. no way you can't, it's not possible. It's just not possible. So yeah, I would say on the champions tour. Um, and I've said this many times, um, I thought there was one guy I saw in person that was above everybody else in terms of, the, of just shot making and what he was doing. And I think that's the mechanic. I think it's Miguel Angel Jimenez to mm. me at mm. the time I was out there, I was just my, just jaw dropping to be honest with you. And it's not that he hits it so much farther than anybody, but just his ability to move the ball up and down, to shape it, to not be afraid to shape it. You know, I mean, there, there's a, you know, certainly when you're out there playing, like for me, you know, I don't move the ball around much in tour events. I'm kind of going to my stock shot just because you're comfortable with that. Right. I mean, to try to, you know, cut a ball into a green that you don't really need to, you know what I mean? I, I can still draw it in there. Maybe it's, maybe it's not a perfect pin for it, but I'll just take the fat side of the green man. He's, he's just, he's unbelievable, man. He's hitting high, low cut and drawn around the green. Some of the up and downs I witnessed of his, him at the U S open. Cause I went out and followed him a little bit. I mean, give me a break, man. I mean, the guy's just so talented. He just has, there's just not an ounce of fear in him. None. Mm. He's unreal. Yeah. I didn't expect you to say his name, but I, I can see where you're coming from with that. He, he, he does seem to have an amazing amount of consistency, um, and he played at a high level even on, on the Euro Tour and when he played in majors up until, you know, he's close to 50. So, Well, he hasn't made a ton of noise the last, you know, 2020 obviously was a little bit off, and now we're just getting in 2021. But up till 2019, Mechanic is – I mean, he's one of the best two or three players out there, hands down. No, and obviously longer is is longer. I mean, I I haven't Amazing. seen him yeah. play a ton. Yeah. I've been on the range with him. I've been near him. Um, he's a friendly guy. He said hi to me. I got a nice picture with him at the U.S. Open. Um, but um, the mechanic was. I mean, he's just off the charts. Cool dude too. I mean, it seems like the best. he is a cool dude. The coolest, right? The coolest guy in golf. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of interested, you know, with the game going into a little bit more in depth and analytics as far as like stroke gain metrics, stroke gain off the tee, stroke sure. gain approach, um, stroke gain putting, whatever it may be. Is that something that you look at, you know, if for yourself for your own game to kind of identify what what you're doing well, what you're not doing well? 
I certainly, if I had a full season out there and had that much, you know, my, my stats, if you look at my stats on my PGA tour page, there, there's not a ton there and they're not very good because <laughs> I didn't really, I finished seven, I finished 55th, maybe in Atlanta and maybe like 74th or something. I only beat, I think four guys in, in Calgary. Um, but I was hurting that week. Unfortunately, I, I, I got to Calgary that week. I felt great and it went downhill, but um well, maybe maybe a better say, question would be: Do you do you would you value that those kind of stats over just or are you like an old school guy like fairways greens? Yeah, uh, I mean, I would certainly look at them all. I mean, you want to know where you're good and where you're bad. I mean, it's obvious from the stats that I have on there that I need to be better inside of 100 yards and on the greens. But you know, that takes a little bit of time out there. I mean, those greens are different. You know, those greens are firm and quick. Those guys are been on those greens for 30 years. You know, when you're nothing against you know, Riverbend or Autumn Ridge or Cherry Hill while I play, but they're just not the same. Riverbend's close, but, you know, that's why I spend more time out there now because yeah. I need those. I need those challenging putts. I need that quickness, you know. But, I mean, man, I'm here to tell you, you know, Calgary was a really good golf course, but the greens were, I mean, you know, when you're 30 feet and putting it across a ridge and having to feed it down to the hole, man, you better have a good idea how that ball, you know, how, you better be comfortable on the greens and how fast they are. And those, those greens were fast. So, that's another part of it, you know, just getting comfortable out there. But sure. um, I yeah. certainly, I certainly would value those stats. Yeah, I would. Um, for, for people that play amateur golf or even competitive events, like, like myself, I focus so much when I, you know, before my tee time, I get there an hour before I hit balls for 40 minutes, I get warmed up. And then, then I'm like, Oh, I guess I'll go hit putts for 10 minutes. It's something <laughs> like that. <laughs> right. It's, then I'm like, Oh, after the round, I'm like, man, I didn't make a putt. You know, I don't understand that. <laughs> so I'm kind of interested in what it, for for amateurs. Is there anything um, putting wise or short game work that that the pros do that's different? Any any kind of drills that you do that um, yeah. kind of helps you in that area more than more than someone like myself who I putt bad and then I complain about it, but I don't yeah. practice it. Yeah. Well, listen, I um I'm very fortunate that I I get to train at Apex and they've got you know a putting module on TrackMan that's amazing. I use all the time, but I, I would recommend um, a book that I love, which is James Siegman's book called your short game solution. Y O U R your short game solution. And he's, he's just a brilliant, brilliant um, putting instructor. I take his book with me on the road every time mm -hmm. I go, uh, mm -hmm. just cause I love to just dive in and look at things, but he's got a drill that I love uh, that is a really simple drill and it's going to sound a little bit silly when I say it, but it's once you start getting into it and doing it, you see the value in it and you also find it to be much tougher than what it is. But he, he suggests that you put to dimes. So if you take a dime and throw it on the floor in your home or on the practice green and you put two and a half foot putts. Okay. So how long is, you know, two and a half, it's not far. Okay. But when you put to the dime, he wants you to hear the dime. So there's times that you almost hit the dime. It looks like it goes over it, but you can't hear it. So I've sort of modified it and I take a T and stick a T when I'm outside in the green. So the head's sticking up about like that. So if I hit it, I can see it deflecting, but it's right. about the size of a dime or a little smaller. Um, and put two and a half putt or two and a half footers and go from four spots, north, south, east, west, five putts. So 20 putts total and count up how many times you hit, you hit your, your target, the T or the dime and hear the dime. And Siegman says, if you can hit 20 out of 25, four out of five from each spot, you're world-class. Now, when I first saw that, I'm like, come right, on, right. two and a half feet to a dime, seriously? And the first time I tried it, I missed the first one, I hit the second one, and I missed the third one, and I kind of stood there, I was like, okay. 
All right, this is, this is not a good start. And I think I maybe hit maybe 15 or 16 the first time. It took me a while to just to get to 20. But it what that does is it trains you on start line. Can I hit it? Can I get it online where I'm looking, where I want the ball to go? And it just trains you on that. I think that is one of the absolute best drills that you can do. And so what I would suggest to you is maybe not, maybe not when you're playing a tournament, but if you go out to practice, do that first. Start in close to the hole and work on that first. And then, then maybe start varying it up. But if a tournament came along, I would stick. That's the first thing I do. If I get there and I get there an hour ahead of time, I'll go to the green for 10 minutes and I'll putt to a dime or to the tee. And then I'll turn around, I'll go hit golf balls. Then I'll come back and hit some short shots and then I'll finish putting. But um, one of the, one, one, another thing too, that just comes to mind is, you know, I, I talk about the difference between pros and amateurs. One of the things I see amateurs do a lot that, that, that just drives me nuts is they go to the range on a tournament day. Like you're going to play in a golf association event or whatever. And they yeah. go out there and start working on their swing. They start like practicing, oh, you sure. know, which just drives me nuts. I'm just like, dude, this is not the day to be practicing. You're coming to the range to warm up. Right. Okay. Loosen up. See some balls fly, get a feel for some distances. Don't put a lot of stock. Don't put a lot of, you know, don't pay attention to, don't grade yourself the morning of a tournament. You're, you're there to warm up, go warm up, go make some putts on the green, go hit a few good short shots and then get yourself ready to go play. But I see that a lot where guys go out there and they're, you see them out there and they're working on stuff. And I'm just like, Oh my gosh, you guys, what are you doing? You got to tee it up for real here. Like in 10 minutes, what are you doing? <laughs> right. You know? So uh, that would be one thing. And the other thing that I, we, we always laugh about when I talk about AMs and pros, because I get that question from people a little bit, it seems like, yeah. is pr- amateurs talk about score way more than pros ever do, ever. <laughs> you know, like scoring makes amateurs nervous on, sometimes, almost even when someone's playing good. That's I can't true. tell you times when I, when I was back in the golf association where we'd be on the 14th hole and I'd have it maybe three or four under and someone would come up to me and go, man, are you four under? I'd be like, dude, let's just finish playing and we'll add them up at the end. We're, we're, I'm good. Thanks. Appreciate it. You know, uh, but they're getting nervous, you know, so they talk true. about score way too much, way yeah. too much, way yeah. too much. Just, just, no. just, just keep playing. You know, you never hear that in pro golf. You'll never get that. And it's funny. I mean, the better players I've played with, you know, I'll be like, dude, you're four under. And it's like the 16th hole. I'd be like, I, I didn't even know. But me, if I get, oh, thanks. Under, if, if I'm like two under after four, I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, what am I going to do? I got to, I got to hold this together. So that's spot uh, on. That's so true. It, um, it happens. I mean, there, there's times we laughed about, I'm like, dude, the dude I'm playing with is getting more nervous than me, you know? Right. I mean, right. you're almost calming him down and it's, I'm the one who's, you know, playing good. So right. yeah, I, those are, I would say those two things always pop up for me when it, people say, you know, what about AMs and pros? I'm like, yeah, that's probably the biggest, that's probably the biggest difference. Those two things. Uh, you mentioned distance earlier. Do, do you yeah. feel like there's, there's a distance problem in golf right now? Um, no. I'm not on that side of things. I know there's plenty of people talking about bifurcation and rolling it back and all that stuff. I listen, it's the same for everybody. I mean, it's the same for everybody. It's like saying, Hey, we're going to raise the basket to 11 feet because guys are so athletic in the NBA. I mean, that's never going to happen. So to me, I, I, I'm not, I'm not consumed with it. I don't worry about it. I don't don't think it, I don't think it hurts the game at all. Um, I I think it's all relative. And, and, and here's, here's something that happened in the U S open this last year. That, that got totally missed. I mean, totally in the media, if you ask me. And I almost wished I would have had my podcast going or my show going so that I could have talked about it because no one was talking about this. And, and I'd love your thought on this as well, Phil. But I think the U.S. Open showed something in the game that is so blatantly obvious for why things are where they are right now and why it's not going to change. And you can bifurcate all you want. It's not going to matter. 
at the U.S. Open this year, they grew the rough to five inches, okay? And guys obviously drove the golf ball in the rough. And yes, DeChambeau was hitting it astronomical distances. The shots being played out of five-inch rough at this U.S. Open is the most crazy thing I've ever seen in my life. And that's not because of equipment. That's not because of the ball. It's because athletes are so strong and so fast and so good that they were hitting golf balls out of five-inch rough from 180 yards on the green and making birdies. If that doesn't show people that this ain't – I understand the equipment. I get it. I understand the ball. It is the players. You're not going to roll this back. There's no way. They're too committed to being athletes at this point. Forget about it. Let them go. Let them do it. You know, I don't see the problem with it. Tighten up the fairways, grow the roughs. That's what I would tell, tell them to do. Make it a little bit tougher from that approach shot and let them go compete, man. Let them go compete. I don't see the problem with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, you have the combination of technology. Um, I mean, it's gotten better and better, but yeah, these guys are they're just more athletic and uh, they're bigger, stronger. I mean, you look at what Bryson's done over the last year. I mean, he's crazy, but you have to admire it. He's going all in on what he believes in. And uh, I mean, you've got to say it's worked. I mean, I've talked about it on this podcast a couple of times that I I love, I love the content that he brings and the stuff he says, but the results have been there. And um, the the only thing I'm concerned about with the distance is it, it, it feels like something has made some courses a little bit obsolete, like St. Andrews, um, even in 2015, it was, it was getting kind of obliterated by distance then. So when they play it, uh, you know, next it's, you know, it's going to be a much different golf course than it used to be. But, um, but like you said, there's things that they can do at a lot of golf courses now and uh, to, 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 to defend against distance and, uh, and I, I, I kind of believe it's a skill. I know Matt Fitzpatrick said, you know, he came out against Bryson. He said, you know, distance yeah. isn't a skill, but I believe it's a skill. I mean, if you're Rory McIlroy and Dustin Johnson, that is a skill. I would ask, I would ask him, and I, and I like, I like Fitzpatrick a lot. I love his game. He's, he's a bit old school dude. But if you gave him the opportunity to hit at 350 or 275 and compete right. out on the tour, what would you take? Right. Don't, don't give me that. Come on, man. You're going to tell me you wouldn't take 350? Stop it. I mean, give me a break. Right. But going back to what we we're what you were saying about about the 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 courses being obsolete, I agree with I agree with that to a point. Um, and I use Marion as uh, an example. When sure. Justin Rose in 2015 won at Marion, it was the shortest U.S. Open they played in however many years it was. It was 6,700 yards. Yeah. They grew the rough to four or five inches. They tightened the fairways. They firmed the greens, and one guy was under par. Yeah. I mean. You know, and, and even DeChambeau, even though he won the U.S. Open and he decimated, you know, in a way that field, he was the only guy under par. Right. No one else was under par. No one. I mean, if he has an average week and he's back towards par, we don't even have the conversation, you know. Sure. And what he's doing is insane. The tracers on his golf ball, Phil, <laughs> are – I mean, dude, he's got a seven-and-a-half-degree driver. He's rolling down to 5.5. I mean, if you gave me a perfect shaft, had it fit for me at a 5.5, I would hit half the fairways I hit right now. The control with that driver is just not there. He's just striping it. It's it's unreal. It's unreal how good it is. I, I And, you know, I, I got to give some props to my man Stiller, too, by the way, because we talked at the beginning of the year, and this is what he said to me, Phil. You'll love this. He said he's going to win 10 times. He's going to win everything with his new system. I said, kid, whatever. I said, dude, he might he might get a couple wins. It's no way is this going to work. That's what I said. 
right. and I stand correct. I'm looking right at it right now. So <laughs> I, I was wrong. Okay. You were right. I was wrong. He's, 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 he's unreal. It's yeah. You got to appreciate the all in he's got right now. He's all in. Yeah. Um, I mean, he put a great at the U S open that, that obviously was a huge help, but I mean, it, it feels like the masters is imminent. If he, if he puts decent, I know he didn't play great in November, but um, the distances that he's hitting there is, is going to be huge help. And uh, I, you know, I just, I just feel like it, it and he, he, he kind of says this himself. He, he kind of makes it like a math problem and, and, and that's what he's doing. I mean, he's, he's eliminating, yeah. you talked about eliminating some of the field or certain guys you got to beat. I mean, he's only got to beat a few guys and uh, he's going to get his yeah. share. I mean, that's for sure. I, I think if I was teaching him or working with him right now, I, the one thing I think I would change with him has nothing to do with his golf swing, but I think he would having the one length club still, which he's still playing. I would, I think I would kind of graduate from the seven iron down into my wedges. I think, I think getting a little shorter wedge length for him would behoove him and would make him a better wedge player. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not all in on that. I, that's the one part of it where I'm like, I don't a seven iron length and a 56 or 60 degree wedge. I, I don't know, man. It's definitely the he's, weakest he's part certainly of the making game. it work. He's certainly making it work, but it seems to me that that would be the way he'd win Augusta to me yeah. would be a little more control with the wedges, maybe take a few of those wedges and shorten them down just to get a little bit better touch. Because I think that's what he was missing this last year, in my opinion. I, I, I texted my brother-in-law who's become a, a kind of a bigger golfer in the last couple of years. I said, this is the second craziest thing he's done after the side saddle putting. And I, t- I sent him a picture and he's like, what was that? I said, Oh yeah, he tried side saddle putting when he came on tour because he wasn't making any putts. So I said, this is, this is who he is. He's going to keep experimenting yeah. 200 plus, you know, mile an hour ball speed right now. I mean, it's, it's insanity, but uh, he's sticking and to the compass. Who he is. Don't forget the compass, the compass, Don't yeah, the compass. Too. Yeah. Yeah. the compass too. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> Uh, one of the last questions I want to ask you. So when yeah. I get on a course like Autumn Ridge, Autumn Ridge is just a place that I feel comfortable. I, I cannot play there for a year Love and it. I get there Love and I just place. feel, I feel at home. And, uh, that's a course I always play well. Is, is there a certain course either locally or anywhere that you've played that, that you get the good feels no matter what your form is coming <laughs> into there? Yeah. Well, you know, my home is always been Riverbend golf club. I mean, that's where I grew up playing. Um, you know, we were strapping clubs to our back and b- riding our bikes <laughs> over there through the neighborhoods. You know, I grew up in Oberg Farm. I'm a Northeast kid. I'm a Jefferson Patriot in Northrop Bruin and St. Joe Central Elementary School. So that's that's my hood. You know, that's my hood. Uh, Shove Park and, and, yep. and Riverbend. Yep. R- Riverbend is just such a special place to me, man. I just I just um, I don't know how any how any golf ground could be more sacred to me than than that place I, I i'm not saying it's the greatest golf course that's ever existed it's awfully nice it's it's, it's in great shape tommy bodron hats off to you for what you've done out there and roger is superintendent yep. um you know those guys have done great but um yeah it's i don't know how i could ever feel about anything quite like yeah. quite like that now, i will tell you and this is this is this is a recent occurrence too is i never thought there'd be a member of my family who would like riverbend as much as me but Tommy Bodron has been kind enough to let me walk my dog out there, our, our year and a half old black mouth cur. And his name's Bucky. And he loves running free on that golf course as much as I love playing it. It's so I've been out there all winter with him running him around that place. And it's uh, so I, you know, he may even get a few rounds of golf this summer with us. Maybe even if, uh, 
even when it's nice. But uh, I would have to say say Riverbend cool. probably. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty confident that Bucky could probably make a few more putts than than I can. Man, those greens get me in the in peak season. Uh, man, those are tough. Um, uh, listen, uh, Scott, we've we've gone a little long. I appreciate the time here. Um, yeah. Uh, really excited to have you on and talk about kind of where you've been, what your 2021 is going to look like. Um, and uh, man, we'd love to have you back on the on the podcast at some point when it fits your schedule. Any. Any, any time, but I'd love to get on here with Strasser and mix it up over what we think with golf. I'm a big, huge Johnny Strasser fan. I love that golf swing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it right now. Johnny's going to get himself a city here the next couple of years. I'm making that prediction right now. I'm throwing the gauntlet down to him. It's time. It's time for him to get one. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm sure he'll, he'll take that as a challenge. He's been so close. He's a great player. He's a great player. All right. Well, Scott, Best of luck a uh, couple of weeks here in Tucson. We'll all be following you for sure. And uh, like I said, we'll have you back on when it, when it fits your schedule, man. Man, I, I hope I have something for you guys to follow in Tucson. That would be that would be awesome. And thank you for having me on your show. I'm, I love your show, buddy. Good job. Keep up the good work. I appreciate it. Everyone listening, uh, when you can to this podcast, check it out on uh, YouTube. We got a YouTube channel that we're going to get going. And uh, Listen, Scott, good luck, and uh, everyone, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.